if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to find Acts chapter 9. All right, Acts chapter 9. We've been in a series that we are calling The Not-So-New Way. All right, uh, and, and we are going through the book of Acts, which looks at what happened in our world following Jesus' ministry. Okay, when Jesus came, uh, he marked a massive shift in the world. He brought a new way to live, a new way to connect with God, something that wasn't available previously. Uh, and so we want to look at the first followers of Jesus and the early church and see, okay, if this new way actually came, what did it change? What, what's different now because of it? All right, and we want to see, did, did lives change because of what Jesus did? We say that, but did it happen? All right, so if, if you ever miss a message, by the way, like last week, uh, I, I want to challenge you. If, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and, and take a listen to that. Uh, I think it was something that was uh, very timely for us and just something that was important. All right, if you ever miss a message, we, we do put them up on our YouTube channel, and they go up either Sunday night, more often Monday morning, uh, kind of that time. And then we have a podcast as well. It goes up at the same time there. So you can subscribe or you can just follow those or you can go find individual ones. All right, but uh, okay, this morning, we are here for this morning. All right, and, and so what I want to do is, is I want to get to this. I want us to take a moment uh, and just be able to, to slow down. All right, it's summertime, and I feel like I've been told that summer is supposed to be slower. All right, and I have not found that to be true in my life. I don't know if it's because I have three little kids and you are just like, driving them to different places and going to this and to soccer practice and what. But summer's just kind of crazy for me. Uh, and I don't want to be running through things so fast that I miss what God has for me. All right, so here's what I want to do. Can we just stand across the room right now as we get ready for this? And I want us to just kind of take a breath, slow down. All right, maybe you're feeling that where you came in here and you're like, all right, we got to go to church quick. And then we got all these different things this week. Let's just kind of slow down. Uh, and just make sure that we aren't missing what God has for us this morning. All right, uh, before I read our passage, uh, the context of it, last week we looked at Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, throw them in jail, or, or even have them killed. And on his way, Jesus shows up right in front of him and calls him out, and Saul's blinded and led by his companions to Damascus, uh, and that, that was last week, and that's where we're going to be picking up today. All right, so we are in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, uh, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. God, we just pray right now, Lord, that we would be able to slow down 
that we'd be able to focus on you, Lord, and, and that we would, we would heal, hear your voice, we would feel your leading this morning, God, and, and that we would ch- be changed because of this time together and because of time in your word. We ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. This is one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts. Uh, Saul has just had this massive moment with Jesus. Uh, As we talked about last week, uh, Saul was on what he thought was a holy mission to keep God's people moving in the right direction. All right, then all that gets interrupted. Jesus reveals himself to Saul to be the Messiah uh, that he has been waiting for. Saul becomes physically blind as a result of the encounter and has to be led the rest of the way to Damascus by his companions. So we have Saul, uh, Saul the persecutor, the, the Christian killer. Like that's, that's the, what we kind of open up with here. Uh, and then we get to kind of cheat and we know the end of the story, right? Where Saul is no longer the persecutor, the Christian killer. Saul is now the Apostle Paul who writes two-thirds of our New Testament and is this like massive figure for us. Right, like we know the end of the story. And these are two very different situations. And this story today is kind of like the pin that holds it together. All right, and this is at least the part, the catalyst that starts this for Paul. There's no doubt years of uh, discipleship and, and people investing in him and pouring into him prior to him reaching that place of just like this authority in the early church. But this story right here is kind of this, this big moment that happens. Uh, and I want us to, to look through and pick some pieces of this out. Uh, and then I think there's a really big application that uh, it can not only change your life, my life, like our lives, but it can change the lives of the people around us if we understand this and, and we, we apply this in the way that God wants us to. So verse 10 started out, it said this, now there is a believer in Damascus named Ananias. Now here's the thing, uh, the fact that there were still any believers in Damascus is sort of a miracle in and of itself. All right, like word had obviously gotten out about Saul and his exploits, his, what he was doing, uh, and because a few verses later, Ananias knows about why Saul was on his way to Damascus. Like he already knows, he's here to arrest me and kill me. Like, so that had gone ahead of Saul. So you can imagine that a lot of the believers are probably scattering. All right, and, and the believers that were in Damascus, they might even be some of the same that had just scattered from Jerusalem a few chapters earlier to escape the persecution that was happening from Saul and from others. We see the, the martyr of Stephen, and following that, people scatter out further. They leave Jerusalem. So these might be some of the same people. And now Saul was showing up way out there. And, and Jesus has called his followers to go to Jerusalem if you remember this, Acts 1.8, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, it's a famous verse. They were struggling to accomplish that. They were staying right in Jerusalem until Stephen was killed. Meanwhile, Saul, on the other hand, he was persecuting believers in Jerusalem. Seems like probably around Jerusalem in Judea. All right, that's, Judea is kind of like the area. Jerusalem would be like, okay, it's happening in Long Prairie. It's also happening in, you know, Todd County or Minnesota, like the area around it. Okay, and now he had traveled through Samaria, that's the next area over, and really what, where he's going here in Damascus, this would be classified in the way that this is being said, the ends of the earth. It's beyond that area. So we, we have Christians that are failing to go and do what Jesus has called them to do. Saul, in the meantime, he is willing to go that far 
just to persecute, persecute believers. All right, so this sounds like he is the type of guy that God's, God needs to accomplish his plan to go to the ends of the earth because he's already doing this. Saul was willing to go this far to persecute. How much further would he go to bring the life-changing good news that he was just given? All right, so meanwhile, in Damascus, we have... Uh, this follower of Jesus named Ananias. We don't know anything about him. We haven't heard of him before, and we actually never hear about him again after this story. This is it. This is his one moment. And Ananias had already shown some bravery or resolve by staying in Damascus, all right, but he's about to be tested even more. It says, the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. All right, so maybe Ananias is still there because he's thinking, all right, I can stay under the radar. Maybe not that many people know that he follows Jesus. Maybe he's like, this one guy is coming into this big city. I probably can hide. I don't need to leave. All right? And, well, all hopes of staying under the radar completely go out the window at this point. Like, can you imagine this? God actually asks Ananias to go find the one guy that he is trying to hide from. He's like, God, you are terrible at hide and seek. Actually, God's better than Adam and Eve. I, I always love that. You know, Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. We're hiding. You're like, you're playing with God. Are you kidding me? I think he knows where you are. All right, anyways. Um, and, and so he's asked to go actually and, and find this one guy. And Ananias is asked to do something he really doesn't want to do. It terrifies him. And, and we see that in his response. Now, a connection or a parallel that as I was reading through this and studying this this week, uh, kind of just came into my mind. I was sitting there, I'm like, wow, this, this actually sounds a lot like, in a way, the start of the story of Jonah. Uh, both are asked by God to go to people that terrified them, that were the enemy. And as I compared the two accounts, I started reading through both of them. Uh, there's a major difference right off the bat, though. You see, when God spoke to Jonah and asked him to go to Nineveh, Jonah does not even respond to God. He literally just gets up and goes the other way. All right? And now Ananias, he actually responds to God. He was scared, but he engaged with God. And in doing so, this gave God an opportunity to further explain, to further impart God's heart into Ananias, which is always a must if you are being sent to accomplish what God wants you to do. All right? That's part of why we try and spend so much time, uh, the different mission trips we do, trying to spend time uh, in advance, preparing for that. Like, we're like, okay, if we're going to go somewhere, if we're going to fly to another country, we better make sure that God actually imparts in us, like, the heart that he has for those people. Because if, if we just go, like, we're, we're going to miss something. And you see that with Jonah. Jonah never gets the heart for the people that he's supposed to go to. He gets there, he passes the message on, and right away, he leaves the city, and he goes outside and sits there and waits for God to, like, throw down fire and burn the city. And he's actually hoping for it. He obviously doesn't have God's heart in that moment. And it's so important. So in verse 15, 
But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument, this is God engaging now with Ananias, to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So God's actually giving Ananias part of the plan. He's letting him in on the why. It's so important for him to go to Saul right there. Why Ananias needs to obey and follow through. Verse 17, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. So following this big encounter with Jesus, we see Saul and he is fasting. We talked about that at the beginning of the year. When you have a big moment with God, an appropriate response to that is fast. I think we often want to fast to have that big moment, but scripturally speaking, what we see is that we have an encounter with God and we fast in response and we seek clarity on that. Uh, and, and then uh, th this happens here, and I, and I love this. Look at how Ananias interacts with Saul. Look at the way that he greets him. So remember, Saul had been hunting and attempting and succeeding at times to kill Christians. Probably some of Ananias' friends, even. Can you imagine being Saul? You're blind, sitting in a house you're unfamiliar with. Um, I'm assuming at this point that his companions maybe have left because they were there on mission with him and now they don't know what to do. And, and God's like, hey, a Christian is coming to you. You know, one of my followers. If I were Saul, I'd, be, I'd probably be like, okay, what's going to happen to me? Like this person that I've, uh, I came here to kill them. Now I'm blind, sitting there defenseless. What is going to happen to me? And I love this. The very first follower of Jesus that he interacts with in this type of a way walks in and calls him Brother Saul. Can you think of like that greeting right there? Those words, the, the Greek word that says that's brother here is the same that you would use as a biological brother. Like, think of all of that probably anxiety driven up in, in Saul being like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen when this person walks through the door? And, and you hear the door open, and you're like, all right, this is it. Like, this guy's going to lop my head off. I, I don't know. Like, this is the end. And you hear the words, brother Saul. Think of the walls that were just broken down in that moment in Saul's life. Think of how much that must have changed how he viewed followers of Jesus. In, in those two words, brother Saul. I love it. Ananias prays, Saul is healed of his blindness, baptized, and ate food. Now this is a pretty straightforward passage. All right, well, why is this one of my favorites? Uh, because it displays the massive repercussions that can happen because of simple obedience to God. Not easy obedience, but simple obedience. All right, I think that for everyone in the room, at one point or another... God has attempted to lead you, guide you, speak to you, direct you towards something. All right, whether you realized it was God or not that was doing that, that that's another story. And I'm willing to bet that, that every one of us at some point have ignored or missed that leading and went a different direction. And probably at other times, we have listened and followed through, whether you realized it or not. We believe that God is alive. We believe that Jesus is coming back. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still moving and working and directing us just as Jesus promised. 
All right, why is that important? Because God has chosen you and I to accomplish his will here on earth. But in order for that to happen, we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and then we have to follow through and we have to act on it. Because God has chosen you and I to accomplish this. I want to share two quick stories uh, of, of times in my life when I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and guiding me and, and what the outcomes of each of these were. All right? So one story is of obedience, and the other one is not. All right? When I was uh, 22 years old, I just got my first job as a youth pastor. This is in Bemidji. And my very first week of work at this church was actually taking these kids to camp. All right, and that was a great and terrible week, all in the same. It's great because you, like, you really got to know them right off the bat. Like if you go to camp and you spend a week with them, all right, uh, but it was just, it was crazy and all over the place. All right, and I'm at camp with these kids, and there's one of these nights, and, and we're in the, the, the sanctuary at camp, and there are kids spread out all over. Actually, I have a picture of the sanctuary. Jasmine, you can put that up there. So this is from up in the balconies. You can see, like, it's, it's a large room. All right, and there are six, seven hundred kids spread out in this room and however many hundred leaders, okay? And at this point, I was actually way on the left side. You can see the very front. There's like a little uh, grate next to that door in the wall. I was standing there, and it was after a service, and kids are up at the altar, and they're praying, and I'm praying for kids. And in this moment, all of a sudden, I feel like I... I don't know, like, like I just, all, all of a sudden in a moment, I'm like, I need to be, I need to be moving. I need to be walking. And I was like, that's weird. I'm like, this is like, this is, I could not be doing anything better than what I am right now. I'm at the altar with kids. They are, they are having this moment with God. I am praying for them. Like, this is the best place I could be. And it would not leave. It was just move, move, move. So what I did was I, I walked backwards. And you can see there's, a, there's kind of an aisle that cuts the, the, the thing in half going this way, and I hit that spot, and I stop, and I turn around, and I look back up front, move, okay, and I kept walking, and I walked all the way across, and I stopped, you see the black sound booth right there, kind of in the back side of the picture, and I stopped there, I kind of look around, and move, all right, so I keep walking all the way over here, down to what would be kind of the bottom of the picture in front of the railing, where my group was at, and my kids were sitting there, and and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll just go back to my students, And I stand there, and all of a sudden, I kind of start to look around. And and right over here, kind of back behind me, it would have been in the very back of the room. You can't even see where where this was. There was a kid sitting there. I'm like, hey, I know him. That's Nick. I counseled him a couple years ago. He's just sitting there by himself. Everyone else is kind of up front. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go talk to Nick. So I go, and I sit down next to Nick. And he's kind of got his head down, his eyes closed. And I'm like, hey. I kind of like... Tap him a little bit. And he looks at me, and it just is like, he like turns white. I'm like, hey, how's it going? That's not an answer. Okay. And I say, that's good. Good, yeah. Can I pray for you? So I, I just pray. I get done, and I'm just sitting there with him. And he's like, you know, I was just sitting here praying. And he said, I knew you were here this week. And he said, I, I said this to God. God, if you're real. I want Josiah to come and find me. Sit down next to me. Pray for me. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I am really glad I listened. Right? Like, have you ever had those moments and you're like, wow, 
holy cow, what if I would have just stayed where I was? What if I just stayed there? Like, I had no clue what was going to happen. I had no clue that Nick had said that. I had no clue of what was going on between him and God. I was like, wow, that is crazy. And, and the week went on, and I kind of, I met up with him later, and I said, hey, Nick, I just want to let you know, like, I, I know that your, your life at home is a little rough sometimes. Things are difficult. And, uh, and I said, if you ever need to get away, like, just let me know. Like, Emily and I are up in Bemidji. You can come stay with us for a week or two. Like, we'd love to have you. Uh, let me know. We exchanged numbers. And I said, all right, hey. All right, I'm taking off. And so, so he went back to his town, and I went back. And, and so, so that's the first story of this obedience that I was kind of riding on cloud nine at this point. Like, wow, I'm, I'm a good Christian. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was pretty good. Well done, you know. And uh, a couple months went by, like two, two and a half months. And I started getting this feeling like, hey, you, you, need to, you need to call Nick. You need to get in contact with Nick. And I kind of pushed it off and pushed it off and pushed it off. Finally, I'm like, all right, like this, this won't leave. And I call the number that he gave me. And I, I can't remember if it just went to voicemail or if it, if it was one of those, like, the number's no longer in service. All right? And I'm like, okay, God, I did it. Like, that's what you told me to do. I contacted Nick. He didn't answer. Um, I don't know what else to do. And so let's see, I was at camp the, at the beginning of August. Thanksgiving Day, Nick uh, and his cousin ended up making a dumb choice, breaking into a guy's house in Little Falls. And uh, they hadn't broken in there. This wasn't the first time. They'd done it before. Uh, and if you remember a few years back, then the guy was waiting in the basement. And he, he shot and killed Nick and his cousin. And I remember hearing that information and being like, wow. What if I would have gotten a hold of Nick? And that's, that's one of those hard moments where like, now I, I have spent my time with God and I, I have, I, I've let go of this situation. And I know that, that all of us have choices that are our own choices. But I, I have hung on to this to the sense of saying like, this is massive. This is important. If I would have known what was going to happen, I would have tried a lot harder. If I would have known what was going to happen, I'll tell you this, I would have called and I would have called and I would have called. I would have looked up his grandparents' number, his parents' number. I would have uh, called his youth pastor that I knew and I would have been like, where's Nick? I need to get a hold of Nick. Give me his number. Get me the correct number. I would have gotten in my car and I would have driven the two hours to his town and I would have found him if I had known what the outcome potentially was. The hardest part about obedience to the Holy Spirit is we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the outcome of our potential obedience or our disobedience. All right, think about this. If God had laid this out, if he said, uh, I, I want to do this, I want you to do this right now, and if you listen to me, then this will happen. But if you ignore me, then this will happen. Right? I, I don't think any of us would ever miss it then. We would see the two choices and we'd be like, I need to make that choice. I don't want that choice. I want that one. And we would listen to God and we, we, would, we would follow through on these things. How much easier would it be for us to obey? I don't know. We probably wouldn't ever get it wrong. The problem is this. 
We live in a way where we don't think that our obedience actually matters. We don't. We, I, I don't know why we do this, but this is how we live. Uh, or maybe it just affects our own life. Like if I'm obedient or I'm disobedient, I will be the one that deals with the repercussions of that. There's going to be no impact on the people around me or the greater world. All right, I don't know if it's because we like, think so little of ourselves that we're like, God's not going to use me in some like, life-altering, changing way. Why would God use me in that way? And we think so little of ourselves that we think that, that the things that we might be asked to do probably don't carry a whole lot of weight with them. Because I'm just little old me anyways. Maybe we just think that the world sort of happens. God doesn't really do anything. Like, or have, have you ever wondered, like, man, why didn't God intervene in that situation? Like something happens, you're like, God, you could have done something there. Have you ever followed that up wondering, I wonder if God was trying to do something there and someone ignored him? Now, can God show up in a moment and, and take control of things? I mean, absolutely. God is all-powerful. But the reality is, is from page one of the Bible, God chose to partner with us. That's the biggest part of this story. He chose to use us. I don't know why. We screwed up a lot. Get to page two of the Bible. Didn't last very long, but he has chosen us time and time and time again. So God could show up in these situations, but, but how often is he trying to use you? Is he trying to use me in some of these situations to make a difference? Romans chapter 5 says this. This will be on the screen. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Now this is a, a grand scale of what we're talking about, all right? And in no way am I sitting here saying uh, that our obedience is going to bring righteousness to all of mankind, all right? Like, the, these, are, these are, are big things that we see. But we can see from the beginning, God chose to use people. You might be like, well, that's cheating. Jesus was, yeah, he was, he was a person. He was also God. And, but this, this just demonstrates, like, th this has been God's plan. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. That's how he works in this world. There are other ways he can, but this is his primary way. And this shows the weight God has given to his people, that he chose to partner with us. Your obedience matters. And your obedience doesn't just matter for you, it matters for the people around you. Alright? You won't ever know the outcome of the choices you have. You only see the outcome of your decisions. 
I wish it were different. But this is, this is how it works. We see the outcome of the decisions that we make. And I, I don't even know that if I would have gotten a hold of Nick that that would have changed anything. I, I don't know that. We don't get to know the outcome of those. And I have too many decisions that I've seen the outcome from and, and I know that I blew it in some way or another. Let's stand across this place. This matters. This matters. We believe that God is still working in our world today. But the majority of the way he chooses to work is through people. For better and for worse. So I, I want to ask all of us this question, all right? Do you live your life with the assumption that God wants to work through you? If you live your life with this in mind, it will change the way that you live. All right? It will change the way that you get up in the morning. The way that you interact with your family. It'll change the way that you go to work and your mindset when you're there. It will change the mundane tasks that you thought didn't matter in life. All right? It, it should change the way that you drive around town. And when you see people as you're driving through town and you see someone's car in the middle of the intersection that is stalled and they're sitting there on their own trying to get out of there and all of a sudden you just get this prompting like, do something, go out there, pull to the side of the road, run out there and help them. Like those little promptings that we have, how many times do we ignore those? And I think a lot of people, it's like, well, I don't really know if God's speaking to me, if the Holy Spirit's leading me to something. I think that's important. I want to take just a minute here and talk about that. You know, how do you know if God's leading you, if God's speaking to you, or if that's just your little voice that's in your head? All right, well, initially, you might not know. If you're old enough and you remember back before smartphones and before caller ID, you remember, you know, maybe even being a kid and, and picking up the phone, and you just have no idea who's on the other end, right? That... Such a simple concept that kids today do not understand. <laughs> the terrifying, like, answering of a call because your parents made you answer it. And, and you can remember those first few moments where they're talking and you're trying to discern whose voice is this. All right, now, if it's a voice that you've heard a lot and you're confident in it, the more you hear the voice, the more you recognize it. Right, like if your grandma called you and you answered, you probably didn't need to say, who is this? Because maybe even by the first line, the way that she greets you, the way that, that she said hi, the, the little phrases she used, or just the tone of her voice, you knew who it was. But that took time. Usually the first time someone calls you, you don't know who it is right away because voices sound different on the phone even. And it took time of hearing that voice over and over again before you could recognize it and say, I know whose voice this is. All right? If you are wondering if it's God, that's speaking to you, and you can't tell if it's him or not, all right, here's a few things that you can try. First off, does what the voice is saying contradict the Bible? 
God will never contradict himself. So if you feel like you're being told, go and do something, and if it contradicts God's word, it's not him. All right, so those people that, you know, are out there and they say, well, God told me to go and shoot up this place. No, he did not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, God, God does not contradict his word. All right, so that's like the first thing that you have to look there. Think about then, what are you being asked to do? Like, what is actually the nature of what it is that you're doing? Is it, is it a positive thing? Is it a helpful thing? Is it a good thing? Okay, at that point, just step out and do it. Because if you do, and that wasn't God, wow, you just did a good deed. <laughs> That's great. Whether it was God or not, like, we probably should have done that. And, and what happens, at least in my life, is as I have stepped out in these things, it's not actually doing it that ends up changing things. Oftentimes, it's, it's the result that comes afterwards. It's Nick looking at me and saying, I needed that. I was praying for that. You have no idea what this meant to me. And being like, wow, that, that probably wasn't just me then. And the more you do that, and the more things like that happen, the more you begin to recognize that voice. And, and, and when I say voice, I don't mean like an audible voice necessarily. I feel like God speaks to every single one of us, probably in a little bit different way. And he's spoken to me in many different ways over the years, in different seasons. But it's something, the more we read his word, the more we will recognize his voice. So I want to just kind of challenge us. Are you living your life with this assumption that God wants to use you? And maybe you have excuses today and you're like, uh, no, there's no way God wants to use me. You might be talking to everybody else in the room. I'm with you. God wants to work through people. He just doesn't want to work through me. All right, and it's just not true. All right, so I want to challenge us. I'm going to close us in prayer here, and I want you to be thinking about this. Think about your attitude when you wake up. Think about your attitude as you go through things, as you're working. All right, those of you this week that are going to be at a camp, like, are you ready for God to speak to you to potentially change somebody's life? And it's not that you are the one changing anybody's life, but God chooses to use us why, we will never know. It's because he loves us. I guess it's that simple. God, I pray right now that in this room, Lord, each one of us would be challenged in this. God, that we would not let another moment go by doubting whether or not you want to use us, doubting whether or not we could be used. God, I pray that this week, as we leave here today, that, that we would just have this longing and this desire to be so much more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And then when he speaks to us, that we would follow him. God, I pray for strength and courage for us to step out. This might be terrifying for some of us. And God, we ask that, that you would use us. Lord, we want to see this world changed. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. So here we are.
we're available. God, use us. Lord, we ask that in your name. Amen.